0: Hey, everyone. This is the Nips and Sips podcast uh, featuring me. I'm Dr. Jeremy Boyd, and over there is Dr. Brandon Cruz. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite things is the Cuboid syndrome, uh, mostly because it has my last name kind of built into it. But uh, before we get too much talking to that, uh, let's uh, pass out to Brandon. How's it going?
1: Going well over here. Uh, yeah, well, I think we, um, we petitioned to uh, change... Uh, the Q-Boyd, B-O-I-D to uh, B-O-Y-D, uh, which oh, yeah. is the last name. I know that's uh, one of your favorite techniques, which we're going to talk mm-hmm. about a lot later on today. Um, mm-hmm. But first, uh, what we're drinking. Um, I, it was my birthday this past weekend, so my I birthday. got a lot of, thank you, a lot of new, um, uh, I guess, uh, bourbons and scotches and whiskeys and stuff. Uh, I did not crack one open, though I should have, but I have this awesome new crunk cup, and there's a story behind it. One of my uh, very good friends, my brother from another mother, um, I met in PT school, Eugene, uh, Eugene, a.k.a. Yevgeny, uh, or G-Money, as uh, I call him, um, got me this awesome <laughs> crunk cup, which I found out is not really a crunk cup. Um, they were out, so he got me a candle holder to put the <laughs> – um, lovely bottle of the balvine in 12 years aged. Um, I was thinking about cracking it open today but I decided not to um, save that nice bottle for uh, another day but uh, Jer what uh what are you drinking on today what are you sipping on?
0: Uh, before I can you show the whole thing or just the oh, stem yeah, and yeah. everything yeah. look at, <laughs> look, at <laughs> look at this thing.
1: Oh that's a bomb-ass cup. So, for those of you who are watching, and if you're only listening, you should watch it at the bottom. (laughs) Painted uh, like a a rose gold or something. Um, So, I make a cake out of it today and then give it to my lady so she could put some candles in it, or I just make make it my crunk cup. I think you should keep it your crunk cup. She's looking at
0: just the top. It looks like it is a badass cup, but as soon as you lift (laughs) it up, it's yeah, dude, spin that around.
1: Meme going, yeah. (laughs)
0: yeah <laughs> you need the chain and everything dude um today uh i'm drinking uh, we will be drinking maduro brown ale from cigar city uh brewing which is in florida which we had a lot of uh, at i feel like i had a lot of these beers um not this one in particular i got this from that little winter pack that you gave me nice. and uh let me crack that bad boy open and uh it's a brown ale so it's got some uh semi-sweet kind of chocolate and toffee and coffee kind of sort of thing into it. Hopefully you guys can hear that, that sweet, sweet pour. And uh, I'll do a quick, oh, my glass is from Amsterdam, which is cool. So Amsterdam is a lot of cool breweries if anyone's ever interested. This one was, uh, I can't even say it, so De Praal or something like that. But um, really cool place. Uh, Amsterdam is one of my favorite cities. I would go there in a heartbeat.
1: Well, yeah, you went, what, the beginning of this year before uh, shit hit the fan?
0: Yeah, yeah, so I'm kind of blessed that we got to go. Uh, had a blast, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a last trip for a long time. But um, on the Jeremy Boyd scale, pretty classic-y uh, brown ale coffee-esque type of beer. Um, pretty good. I'm going to give it a seven flat, just seven.
1: All right,
0: all right. Not, not nothing nothing like too crazy <laughs> just down to. the line um but um yeah let's get talking about i guess cuboid syndrome uh i guess i'll talk about why besides it being that you know the, the name similarities um why i like it so much was this was my very very first eval uh my first to fill so i was always kind of um, powerful it to, to it as of huh? It was meant to be. It was meant to be. It was just we we're locked in and um I remember it was the first week and initially my CI might have been the first, maybe very early into the second week, my CI didn't have intentions of us. There's another student that they had as well, um, who just started like a week or so before me. Um and didn't have intentions of starting us off on evals or me on an eval uh that soon he wanted me to get a little bit more of a feel of the, of the land there but he uh he got a couple of evals scheduled and uh he was a uh, very similar kind of thing a lot, some direct access and stuff like that and he's just like we got an eval who wants to do it and i was like yeah i'll do it um and he's just like what do you would know about cuboid syndrome and then i just laughed i was like i know the cuboid's a bone <laughs> um and uh he started laughing he's like all right good enough and uh, so, yeah, it definitely wasn't a, my sexiest eval. I'll, I'll say that. It wasn't like, oh, I nailed it because I was meant to be on the Cuboid Syndrome. But uh, I remember it vividly. It was a middle-aged woman. can't really remember her name. I want to say Jess. Uh, that we're going back eight, nine years now. Uh, but she was a bus driver. And um, I think it was a script that said uh, Cuboid Syndrome. So that I still have never seen to this day. Yeah. I never, never seen that to this day. I do remember seeing it on the script. Um, that's usually, and we'll talk about that. It's usually something we as PTs, um, are diagnosing, but, um, you know, I looked at the cuboid I researched it all night, you know, knew what to assess and everything like that. Um, but I did not come into the, into the game day one, doing cuboid whips on people. That was something that had to be mentored, uh, be my CI, but Brandon, what about you? What's your uh, experience with a cuboid syndrome or let's, let's get the conversation going besides me being nostalgic here.
1: So I don't have that nostalgia like you have of remembering my first, uh, my first time, if you will. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It kind of came up uh, probably through one of my evals. I remember really kind of learning and diving into it, I guess, during residency Um, this is uh, and for you you folks out there, uh, you know, often misdiagnosed, um, perhaps quote unquote underdiagnosed, mismanaged definitely. Um, Mm -hmm. it's either, you know, not talked about enough, uh, not people are aware, not enough people aware of it. Um, it may be misdiagnosed as I guess kind of heel pain or plantar fasciitis, um, or, or maybe lumped in there with, uh you know, the sprained ankles and because it it usually happens during a sprained ankle. So a lot of times people will just kind of keep doing the same thing and be like, oh, I get better over time. I get better over time. But um, if you, you know, take a step back and and really evaluate the whole foot and not just the ankle joint, but all the uh, the midfoot joints um, and, and listen to the mechanisms of injuries as well as when people are complaining of pain, and uh, a hallmark sign is not only tenderness to palpation, um, you know, on that uh, plantar aspect of the foot, obviously closer to the the fifth metatarsal, um, but they have pain during push-off, and that's you know mm. something or one of the things I look for um, at least in my questioning or during the subjective portion when I'm li- uh, listen to a patient talking to see if they. They kind of say that, and we 've talked about this, Jeremy before. Um, you know you listen listen to a patient, and they 'll tell you what 's wrong with them, listen long enough to tell you how to treat them so I th- definitely think that goes uh, under that um, that philosophy there yeah, so I have a little story later on i 'll get back to uh, residency and and cuboid syndromes, and and you know diagnosis, and what's happening mechanically or neurophysiologically, and, and things like that. It's just something that's always stuck out to me, and I share it with everyone. Uh, so I'll get into that later. But uh, how often are you seeing this, Jer? Um What's the the patient population you're, you're typically seeing this in? Uh, and and then I guess uh, what are you doing? Um, you know, foreshadowing to our our cuboid whip.
0: Oh yeah. Um yeah I would say I couldn't agree with you more it's extremely misdiagnosed uh, or just missed altogether I don't know about you Brandon um but I didn't receive I know again didn't know cuboid syndrome was a syndrome until that day that first you know uh, eval of uh, something I was like oh, I had to at the look you up it, I don't think it's mentioned too often in standard musculoskeletal classes at PT school um or even athletic like training school or anything like that. Uh, but yes, for how often I see it, uh, I would say I would probably even push towards yeah, if it's a true syndrome or at least a component of the cuboid impacting like a, a classic lateral ankle sprain. Yeah. I'm going to say at least a, maybe a third of those, uh, class, those people are coming in just for ankle sprain have some sort of cuboid involvement maybe more at times um and yeah it's a a lot of what they'll report is again is a little bit further they'll just point to that area but sometimes um they'll you know say it's like or even with fifth met stuff we start to like look at the fifth met um people think they know they got stress fractures runners especially and then you, you as you were saying i hear a lot too is with that push off um, or, you know, very long distance running. And we start to like, Oh, maybe it's, you know, fifth metatarsal fracture, but if you're really good, um, with your palpation skills and you're, you know, off the, the base and go onto the cuboid, um, you know, you can really dive in. And I think, you know, palpation is probably one of the biggest things when it comes to kind of ruling in, ruling out that cuboid, uh, especially on the dorsal and the, and the plantar aspect. It's one thing if it's this tender on the side or those sort of things, but real tender, if you kinda of get a good like C grip kind of hold on the on both the you know plantar and dorsal aspect. Uh it's pretty tender there and they say, hey, that's the pain that I have. Um that's usually you know some hallmark signs that I see this is this is an issue. And then from there I'm looking at the other side. And you know, I feel that it's you know, not moving right, it's stiff. I'm trying to put in PAAP glides, uh, so I see that you know, that's something a bit of an issue. Uh, that's that's when I'll start to go into doing some manual techniques. Um, but I'll show, um, we'll roll right into that. Uh, overall, oh, before uh, kind of miss a question or two, uh, who gets this? I mean. It, Probably most of my population's a little bit younger. I've, I've seen a lot with cheerleaders, gymnasts, and volleyball players um, that I've had a couple, handful of adults too. Uh, and when you figure this out and you start actually training it, it's money. Uh, it's, I say there's, you know, unless you get people very acutely, um, there's very few home run hits. So obviously, there's a process in rehab. But if you, if you tease in that the cuboid is the true pain generator, it's the problem, and you mobilize and loosen this bad boy up, it's a nine day difference for a lot of these individuals. Um, but yeah, what I do, obviously, to kind of loosen up, sometimes really depending on, uh, on um, the patient's irritability, you got to always respect that, their comfort level and those sort of things. Um I try and you know mobilize it. Sometimes you can just do APPA glides, which I found some success, but uh I think the most effective thing is kind of get in there with that cuboid whip, uh, which I'll show right now, and then I'll tell a funny story of like how I did not respect the patient's um I guess uh and not beliefs per se, but did a cuboid whip without letting the client know it was a home run hit for her, but she did not really. Appreciate that she was facing the other way. I was like, "Yeah, oh, I'll just do this real quick. And it shocked the shit out of her. And, uh, <laughs> that was, that was not my finest moment. But after that, she came in one more session. She said she feels great and was pain free, but, uh, make sure you let people know that you're about to do this maneuver. So I'm going to show, uh, I'll do kind of something funny. Um, I'm going to show you. So this is my old company. PSR, great place to learn. I'm going to show you what growth really looks like. Um, just overall, just confidence. And well, first, all, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to share because uh, this may take a second or two. They posted up a lot more than I thought. But Brandon, did you ever see my first manual Monday? If you guys don't follow Trifecta and stuff like that, I've been doing manual mondays or technique tuesdays I'm since sorry. i started the company
1: i'm not I'm not recalling um, oh wait <laughs> two, two years back but
0: yeah so something i've always been doing but the first it ever started was when i was at BSR physical therapy they get yeah, i don't know why they get the on, trust
1: we're on marky kev here so we're not anywhere near yeah we're, we're
0: we're going close they 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 kind of ramped up which i'm happy about they ramped up their uh see this is me Coming back, coming back. Uh, right here. So this is this is growth at its finest. So one, this is super awkward. It sounds like a jackass video. but So look how clunky I am. <laughs> we can look at that one more time. Look
1: at that, look at that dress shirt they made you wear. A dress
0: shirt, yep. But, uh, like stiff as can be. Way far out from the client and just, just awkward at it. Effective, but not not sexy at all. It's um, like a golf Yeah, that, that's about right. I can't uh, talk.
1: Mine's not much better.
0: Yeah, hold on. And then let me share one more. And then you guys can see this. So I'm, I'm grabbing that, kind of getting that C grip on that cuboid right there, I'm applying a P to A kind of glide. I'm a little, little crisper, a little mini thrust, mini thrust, and then thrust. So that right there is, is, is growth that's fine when it comes to this A. And that's a little bit more of a, and then, so just different varieties. I'm doing an inversion, and I'm doing it in neutral in this case, but this technique, I usually don't do it this many times. We're doing it just for video purposes. But Brandon, I know you have, um, I know you have a standing variety. But um, yeah, that's that's something. That if I figure that that is the the problem, doing that technique usually is money. Again, just let the client know they're facing away from you. Uh, that you're gonna kind of give them a little thrust there, and they usually appreciate that a little bit more. But what about you? And then obviously exercise, but we can probably talk about that later. But what about you, Brandon?
1: Um, I'm just going to circle back around just uh, for the audience on other um, I guess athletes or or persons that are susceptible to something like this. Now, obviously anytime you uh, have a patient who's had a inversion ankle sprain, especially or trauma to the foot, I mean, I'm assessing it. I'm assessing the whole foot, but definitely throw it in there on those inversion ankle sprains Um, Mm -hmm. ballet dancers or, or dancers in general um, are a, uh, a, a huge population. I, I think almost 15 or 20% uh, of dancers, uh, get it. Um, so that shows you that. Uh, and then soccer players, football players, uh, tend to get it. Uh, I, I see it a lot in those, um, either cross country or, um, we talked about this last time, those tough motor runs, like people who do like those ops course runs cause they're mm-hmm. carrying like rucksacks and, and weight and, and uneven terrain and they'll get it. Um, that was actually, we had a, uh, a patient who, who did one of those Spartan races. Uh, this is when I had my first intern and it was a great case for her. Cause I, I think we cleared up a lot of the foot stuff within a couple sessions. And, and then he still had some lingering stuff. And I said, the cuboid, she did some, some nips and mobs. And uh, literally another two sessions later, he was, he was good to go. Um, so that was good. I'm going to show a, a couple other tests. I don't utilize these tests. Uh, but these tests were, are in an article uh, of a case study. Um, if you want some special tests to help you um, diagnose a rule in this uh, in this pathology, I don't think we need them. But again, if you want to be thorough, if you're a young clinician and really want to go down that road of checking all your boxes before you're jumping to conclusions, um, definitely all four, uh, you know. Jeremy and I, seasoned clinicians, uh, highly trained uh, therapists, um, and sometimes we cut some corners um, and have um, you know type 1 reasoning uh, where we can recognize patterns and things like that. So let's pull that article up. So if you guys are watching, uh, this article is by Jennings in 05. Uh, talks about palpation. Here's that C-grip that Jeremy was talking about, uh, grabbing dorsally and plantarly to, to see if they're They're tender. This next one is a a mid tarsal adduction test. So basically um, pretending like you're breaking a piece of bread uh, on a lateral aspect of the foot. Uh, And then this last one here is more of a supination slash inversion type test that is supposed to stress that area uh, Mm -hmm. up here to the right. So those are some tests you could, you could throw in and see, you know, how valid, uh, they are, if they replicate, uh, the patient's symptoms, uh, which is what they're supposed to do. So, uh, just some, some food for thought for you guys there in terms of yeah. that, uh, Jer, I believe you asked me to share that video, correct? Yeah. So I, I, I like this.
0: I, I've done it a handful of times with the standing one, uh, good for like competitions and stuff like that. If you need to get it done. But, uh, yeah, that,
1: that's it, a great, you know. great thing. I mean, um, for you therapists uh, who you know, start up your own businesses and gyms and, and maybe you don't have uh, the tables or you're maybe doing a, a, competi- a crossfit competition or weightlifting competition and, and somebody's complaining about foot pain or, or maybe you're doing some on-field stuff um, and you really don't have you know the table, They're, they could just bend over uh, and hold on to something. Um, this is what this technique will look like. And guys,
0: for uh, future, uh, we will be putting up the uh, links to the articles. Uh, and then we get some feedback. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, I, like, I like the title here, Brandon. I like how you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I renamed it. Yes. Uh, My man. My man. Hold on. Let me, uh... It's not big enough. Hold on here.
0: What we can do instead of cuboid, call it cruise void. Now we got both of our names in it.
1: We could, we could make a petition for that. Oh, cool Everyone see this? Yeah, so this is in our the video membership that we made, Jer, um, for the audience out there. I mean, we have step-by-step techniques. We'll get into that later. But you can see that the patient here um, is uh, using a table for balance. My thumbs are placed over the cuboid palpating, applying a uh, – an anterior uh, force or dorsal force and then I'm going to apply a thrust here. Look at that. I'll play play that last little clip again. Just so people who are watching see that thrust, that, that smooth whip smooth
0: whip with the power stance that's
1: that is that i mean
0: that's right there that's money
1: you know uh f- I-, I would say did you ask anything else you talk about exercise right jared um yeah in terms of exercise specific for the cuboid i, I don't really say oh. i do i mean i've literally had people you-, you do it and they're like pain-free it's like why that's bother now? now if we're talking about prevention and what led to their, their injury. And we're looking maybe at hip strength, pelvic strength, the way they run, um, Mm -hmm. you know, intrinsic strength, posterior tib, you know, is their arch collapsing and and things like that? Yeah, obviously, you know, we're going to go and, and, you know, make our exercises and treatment based upon their impairments. Um, but in terms of just, if this was a a cotton, um, cotton dry, uh, cuboid syndrome or even a, a lateral anchor spray with underlying cuboid syndrome, like you said uh, earlier, uh, I'm treating that I'm getting that pain, you know, to zero. And it usually happens pretty quick. You know, yeah. I think we both said within, you know, probably one to four sessions max. Um, mm-hmm. And this stuff clears up.
0: Yeah. I've gone, I've tried, I always try uh, and especially in a way to kind of foster, uh, you know, independence because that's what we do um and i always feel like you should always facilitate your manual therapy with like some self techniques i've tried showing people how to like do a self pa glide to their own cuboid um it yeah. seems like it would work i mean i've done it on myself where i like you know, i can feel you know the actual translation and stuff overall compliance and how well they do it i i mean i like to think that it's a simple thing you just I'm grab pretty much everything else, hold it tight and just move this part. Um, overall compliance though is probably not the greatest in the overall yeah. performance. So <laughs> I've pretty much bagged that. Um, I even done it once where it's like, it was, it didn't real well. Um, and then I don't know, maybe during my assessment, I was like playing around, like keeping, applying a PA glide. Uh, I've even tried to like tape, in that like push, do a PA glide, tape around to kind of sustain it. Um, yeah. That seemed like it helped, but again, not something I typically would do often. Usually again, again, this is a home run hit and they feel great afterwards. Um, but I've, I've kind of toyed around with those sort of things, but then, you know, everything else I said, like, look um, checking proprioceptors, all this sort of stuff, checking like the arch, um, but uh, yeah, I've, I've I've gone around and played with it a lot. Um, and uh, and do you do any like dry like back when you could do dry needling? Is there any dry needling of that area? I know I haven't.
1: Not, not really. Not really. I, mean, I try not to dry needle or when I could dry oh. needle foot. It's just not comfortable. So I would. Yeah. It was. It was always a, a technique of last resort if I if I could help it. Yeah. Um, you know I would try and do as much manually and. and you know, stretching, mobilizations, nerve glides, et cetera, uh, treating the whole foot complex. But um, you know, if it's something really chronic, if I could try and get in there around the joint lines and you know do some stem and, and try and you know loosen up that area, quote unquote, or or get it to be mm-hmm. less bound down and less kind of gummy down. Um, you know, do it and, and kind of uh, hope hope uh, that that was able to loosen it up so I, I can make my manual th- uh, techniques better, but. <coughs> for this for this type of uh, syndrome or, or diagnosis, I, I never really dry needled, felt the need, need to dry needle. Um, you know, you don't have to manipulate either. You can mobilize. I think you touched upon that. Um, I want to uh, share this article here real quick just so you guys can see. Um, this is another case study uh, by a gentleman, um, I believe, Lewis in 2014, Cuboid um, syndrome and why manual therapy helped. I think he goes into, um, you know, a, a great case study here and goes into the mechanisms at play, um, you know, all the way from, you know, eval and differential diagnosis um, to, you know, what's at play. Is this a biomechanical um, intervention or based intervention? Is it have neurophysiological interventions? Is it placebo probably all three of them, what happens with sensitization, you know, what is our thrust or mobilization, um, you know, doing at the pain processes levels or the nervous system level. Um, So I I like that. I think it gives you a nice, well-rounded viewpoint, uh, especially integrating it into a case study. Uh, You know, in our profession, we've talked about this a lot of times, Jeremy, Uh, with the pendulum that swings from manual therapy to pain science, to patient education, to hands off and just doing squats, squats, fix everything. Um, And um, you know, these movement therapists that just feel they just have to have their patients, you know, move and that's going to get everyone better. Um, I think it's important to understand that there's multiple mechanisms at play. I, I can't drive that point home enough. And Uh, The story I wanted to share, I think this is a good segue, was in residency, uh, we had a a teacher, um, a professor named Heidi. She was actually my, I guess, mentor or supervisor through the program and challenged me like no other. And uh, I thank her for that. But I remember like she felt like everything we did was neurophysiological, neurophysiological, like just rammed it down our throats. Um, And, you know, at that time, it's like, okay. I guess all this biomechanical stuff that you learn in kinesiology and orthokinematics and rolls, glide spins and slides and um, isn't really what it, it was. So, um, you know, spending almost a year with her and we had like one class where she covered the foot and ankle and, and cuboid syndrome was brought up and the technique of cuboid um, to treat cuboid syndrome, cuboid manip was brought up and she explained the, mechanism or the diagnosis of a lot inversion ankle sprain Mm -hmm. causes the peroneals to contract you know violently or or, or strongly causing the cuboid to shift out of place um and i remember questioning her and, and then that the technique was one that puts the cuboid back in place um, so of course, my smart Alex self um, questioned her and questioned that, and was like, "Well, if biomechanical occurrences don't take place, why did you just explain everything biomechanically when there should is probably more of a neurophysiological effect to this uh, with sensitization?" Uh, needless to say, she got a little flustered, really didn't answer the question, and just said, "That's how they explain it. it is what it is," and kind of moved on. Um, but that that was like my awe or my pullback of not going down that or not continuing down that rabbit hood, rabbit hole of it's only neurophysiological, it's only placebo and all that other crap that, you know what, there's some stuff here um, that maybe, you know, MRIs or imaging or, or these tests that people do in studies can't pick up or these markers can't pick up, but maybe there is a subluxation. Maybe um, mulligan was on to something back Back then, can we prove these positional faults? Um, is do we need to say and use verbiage of positional faults and subluxations and dislocations and things like that? Probably not. But I think we as clinicians need to understand that um, you know it's probably a little bit of everything going on, mm-hmm. um, and that maybe subtle shift, even if it's a you know a tenth of a millimeter, is enough to have that um, the person's body become sensitized, sensitive, um, you know, cause joint. Um, Decreased mobility and have uh, increased hypertonicity of the surrounding muscles to try and guard things. So I, I definitely think we need to just be more open-minded with stuff like that. And I think that that's uh, pretty much all I have to say about about this topic, Jar. You got any uh, final thoughts wrapping up here?
0: Yeah, I mean, based off of what you're saying, as I always think it's, um, I felt I was I was I was pretty deep in that rabbit hole. Like I I, I it took me a while to. To kind of squeak myself out of that one, um, you know, it doesn't hurt to treat biomechanically. I think there can be some issues educating people with biomechanics. Uh, getting into name-grid. An angry...
1: you say that again for the audience. I, I that summarizes perfectly.
0: Yeah, I think it's. I think it's no problems. I think it's great that you can treat biomechanically, but to educate your clients biomechanically biomechanically could be an issue. Um, so why not, you know, you know, with your manual therapy or anything like that, get into knit, knit and gritty. Man, they don't know what the hell you're doing. You can say your manual therapy is tickling their feet and it's going to fix them and they're going to be like, okay, whatever. Um, but what's the hurt in trying to maybe again, put something back if that's the case. Um, I know like true like lateral ankle sprains, my mentor uh, Tom Michaels when uh, I was going through my OCS, he explained as as those um, like the TFL they get they get pulled and stretched they kind of push the um, lateral malleoli um, or the distal fib in the anterior direction so you know putting it in a more posterior or form an AP glide on it uh, can relieve symptoms and sure shit every. Other time I do that or every time I do that, it helps. Um, so is there a neurophysiological effect or are we really putting things back together? But I don't tell the client that, um, I just do it. They feel better. I, you yeah, know, and I move on. Um, so it's the best of both worlds. Um, and I'm getting enlightened into that more in my fellowship training. Yeah, you can do non-specific things, uh, kind of do those neurophysiological things, but in my experience the more specific I am, especially with my manual therapy, the more efficient or shorter length of stay I have people, as in they get better faster. They're going to get better. You can try and blow up things with any techniques you want or whatever philosophy you believe, they'll get better. But I I know people are getting better quicker now. Um, so, yeah, that's just yeah, my, I guess, two cents in on that, biomechanics versus uh. Yeah, neurophysiological effects. But no, that's uh oh got yeah. Um that's about all I have to say on that. That was a good conversation. Thanks for letting me talk about that, Brandon. You know, my favorite thing. Um but yeah, hopefully you guys enjoyed. Uh we'll put up those articles uh that Brandon so nicely uh, outlined for us um on uh on the comments section of the uh of the post on uh social media and uh on SoundCloud. Um, on top of that, if you have any questions about like the techniques or anything that you saw or listened to, feel free to reach out to us. We're at the nips and sips. Um, and at, I'm at the decent doctor and at trifecta therapeutics and brands at think like a fellow and at pursue PT now. If that manual techniques really piqued your interest, or just never heard Pursuit PT, I'm not Pursuit PT. Sorry, you should. Everybody should know about Pursuit PT, the greatest PT in the North Side of Jersey, uh, East Coast baby. Um,
1: like separate North Side. You got the South North Side. side. North, side north Side. Yeah. yeah so like. That's fair. We'll take it.
0: but if any of that like piqued your interest, um, you know, Brandon's done an awesome job in creating a. Um, awesome library and mentorship and membership for manual therapy and overall orthopedics and sports, uh, Brian. I don't know if you want to throw into anything about that. I know we had a couple people talk about it and uh, interested in it.
1: Yeah, I would love to uh, to share with the audience. Uh, always just trying to uh, make this profession better and, and pay it forward, uh, as you and I have been uh, fortunate enough to kind of go on our path and and go down residency fellowships and uh, owning a business. Um, so. We have two two platform. One is um, only videos. It's 100 videos right now. Manual therapy techniques uh, covering the spine and uh, the extremities, uh, with more to come. Uh, probably dry needling, neurodynamics, uh, PNF things like that. Um, which won't be you won't be charged extra once uh, once you buy it. Um, so, you know, the one-time fee and that's it. You have access. You can download it on your phone, make an app of it on your phone. Um, there's directions there once you, once you make the purchase. Uh, and then, um, for those who, uh, you know, want mentoring, um, whether it's, it's mainly obviously, uh, like Jeremy said, manual sports orthopedics, but we also have a business section on there being that myself, Jeremy and, uh, our third amigo, Kyle are all business owners. We, We figured we'd throw that section in there as well, Um, you know, for people trying to, you know, go out on their own. um, There's that aspect. But in terms of the the manual therapy mentorship, uh, that's basically a a residency and fellowship. It's the models that we've gone through, uh, distance-based, able to upload uh, articles. There's over 600 articles there. We have discussion boards and uh, bi-monthly calls uh, to talk about, um, you know, patient cases and things like that. So for those of you who maybe didn't get what you wanted out of your DPT or residency program or just hungry to learn or have been practicing and and just feel stagnant, uh, you have three, you know, sharp minds where you get to pick our brains, um, and have access to basically all the materials that we have had. We're, We're just kind of funneling that up, uh, between all the articles we've read, the techniques we've done, um, you know, eBooks that we've posted books that we've read that we found better, uh, beneficial, uh, in terms of leadership or business. And, uh, it's just a central hub of that information.
0: Yeah. Um, I think it's awesome. So thanks for uh, leading that. Yeah. If you're like, I don't know a keyboard syndrome and you just decided to watch it, you know, this is, this is that sort of stuff that you can really benefit from. You know, we talk about these sort of things in that, in that mentorship. So yeah, uh, hopefully we can, you know, help some of you guys out and, uh, overall, thank you
1: for listening in and, uh, cheers everyone. Cheers guys.